0: Empire. Mm-hmm. Streamlining the conversation has always been a fantasy.
1: When they look at their audience over the 24 hour news cycle of seven days a week, they're like blood, Fritz, Instagram, I can post content. But so whenever it's game day, I kind of, there's no way I can interact
0: with my fans. That's Nigel Eccles, co-founder of the fantasy sports platform FanDuel on his latest venture, Flick. This is the Future Sport Podcast. I'm Bram Weinstein. Nigel Eccles helped turn old-time rotisserie leagues and fantasy football into a daily experience, and it has altered the sports universe. It's a massive business. It completely changed how fans interact with games and how content providers present sports. And it also drives conversation and connectivity, which has always been at the root of sports fandom. And Eccles believes the conversations you want can't be found on Twitter easily, and so he's chosen to solve that now too. Our guest this week is one of the most successful entrepreneurs in the sports tech space, Nigel Eccles, who is one of the co-founders of the wildly popular fantasy platform FanDuel, whose newest venture, Flick, is a live group chat platform for sports influencers and their fans, and they just completed their Series A financing. Hey, Nigel, great to have you. Thanks for joining us.
1: Thanks for having me on the
0: show. Uh, Tell me a little bit about Flick. Uh, What was the idea behind it, and what are you guys trying to accomplish?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it goes back a couple of years. We we actually, uh, back at FanDuel, we actually had a chat product and it was very popular around live games. Um, so we would, obviously it was mainly a fantasy platform, but we had the ability for people to like chat with those people on the platform during games. And it was super popular and it was so popular that it was kind of a, a strain or engineering resources. And in the end, we decided to, shut it down, focus on the fantasy side. And really from then on, I always thought, wow, that was such a cool product. It would be great to really do it properly. And so that's the idea behind Flick, which is we want to create a place where fans can hang out together during live games and chat. So for example, at World Series last night, um, uh, I was in one of the the baseball uh, chat groups, you know, chatting uh, about the game as it was taking part. And that's essentially what Flick is about. It's a place for, to hang out with the fans, chat, get their reactions, follow the score uh, during the game.
0: So how does this differentiate? I mean, clearly there are a lot of spaces that are out there where fans could connect and engage with one another. What about Flick will differentiate itself?
1: Yeah, absolutely there is. Um, most of them, I would say, though, aren't very good for uh, the live experience. So uh, the places that we know where fans chat about sports are – Uh, Instagram, uh, Facebook, Reddit um, are probably three of the biggest. Um, They are good commenting places. They're not really good for live chat, certainly whenever games are actually happening. They can't really deal with like a lot of commenting very quickly. Um, The other place that is slightly better is is Twitter. Um, But Twitter is really just not built for sports. It's built, you know, it's a general use case. It's going to be full of politics and general news and, and, you know, memes and random stuff. Um, And so, and it also doesn't really do sort of conversational threads very easily. Um, So, you know, you post something, somebody maybe posts a reply, and somebody replies to that, and and then before you know it, you've got like lots of little different branches going off for it. It's hard to follow a conversation. Flix built much more like a chat, you know, experience. So it's it's much more like, um, if you're familiar with Twitch's, chat, um, or, or even just like a text thread, you know, it's easy to see who, who's chatting, and it works really well in real time.
0: Yeah, I, I think, like, th- I guess that's the void there, right? Especially with Twitter, which is the one I interact with myself personally the most. You just end up mm-hmm. in a rabbit hole, you know, like, and that rabbit yeah. hole could go in any different direction based on whoever is it, putting something out. Direction. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's divergent. The yeah, conversation that's, that's has exactly no streamline right.
1: to it. That's right. That's right. And it's not I think they've experimented with sort of Threaded, it's called Threaded Conversations. Uh, they've never really gone with that. Uh, and, and that's, you know, Threaded Conversations is, you know, that's how you're, if you're on Slack, that's how it works on Slack, It's how it works on Discord. You know, it, it's kind of how text conversations typically work. And whenever you've got a lot of people in, in a group, that's typically a might having a
0: conversation. Um, Twitter though, of course, and and some of these others you're talking about, they aggregate a lot of people at the same time. It it sounds like you're trying Mm -hmm. to streamline the conversation a little bit to make it a little more organic or at least on point for what the subject is.
1: That's right. So Twitter's obviously got huge reach and that's really good and and also really bad. Um, And what we try to do is create groups around uh, particular influencers around particular teams. so, you know, what you'll find on Twitter and, and elsewhere is, you know, you've got a GM, you've passionate fans on both sides, the conversation can really degenerate. Um, and so what we've done is we uh, take it to, for example, Arsenal. Uh, I've got a, a fan group called AFTV, very popular. They're all Arsenal fans. Um, and so when they create a group, it's conversation between Arsenal fans, which is really important in the first instance because it's their are playing for example, Man United, if you've got those two fans together, uh, those fans groups together, it can generate. Um, so first thing, they're all Arsenal fans. And secondly, they're all fans of uh, AFTV. Robbie, he runs that. They kind of feel a connection with him. And that just creates more of a community feel. Um, and so that, that's how we, we design our chats. Is they're all groups around a particular influencer connected with a particular team.
0: So um, how do you get the... the interlopers out. I guess that's like the big question, right? The people who just infiltrate these moments and then kind of turn them upside down?
1: That, that's right. So the influencers, you know, what we've seen um, in the past is influencers are always very keen to try new platforms to build their, uh, you know, their, their base, their followership. Um, and so, you know, about 10 years ago, a lot of people came over from YouTube over to Instagram, build up the connections there. We're finding the same uh, people coming over to Instagram and YouTube over to Fleck. Um and then the reason they're doing it is they're still staying on YouTube and Instagram. They're building a really big followership, but they're when they sort of when they look at their audience over the sort of 24-hour news cycle, of seven days a week, they're like, look, it's great, Instagram I can post content, but whenever it's game day, I kind of there's no way I can." Interact with my fans, and um, Flick is a best place interact with my fans whatever it's game day.
0: Um, is the idea somewhat like a like the magic of of texting was the text chat in that it was your friends you could kind of enclose the circle and you could have this kind of organic conversation. It's like everyone's tried to broaden this, you know, but it, as we've already discussed, it gets out of hand very quickly because the the larger the bubble mm-hmm. is the harder it is to control the conversation, yeah. which keeps the engagement. So I don't know what the trick is, but maybe you guys have figured that part out.
1: So, um, so things they, like, it's not that um, they can still be really good. Like we have groups with over um, like the example that I have TV one, they would on days have over 10,000 people in the group. they like active users. Um, and it's, it's super busy, right? It's noisy. You're not going to read every comment. But it's lots of fun. You kind of get—it's a little like being in the stadium. It's not like you can talk to everybody in the stadium, but you can get a feel of what the mood of the crowd is. Uh, yeah. um, and so that's that's what we we sort of done. So they can work as long as they sort of feel part of a community. Having ten thousand people who are like don't have any connection with each other—that's a total mess. But if you have them, they sort of feel a connection with F T V They feel a connection with the host. Then they're going to be better behaved, and they you know, and you'll have a, a civil but noisy group. As I describe
0: it. Can you kind of take us through the business and how that works? We're just bringing people together to Mm -hmm. speak about a common, you know, interest, whether it's, you know, soccer with Arsenal or another sport or, or anything else, really. What's the monetization plan of just having those people engaging with one another?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, uh, we work off a couple of models. This is for the host. Um, one model that we work with is uh, there's a tipping model. Um, so whenever, uh, what and this works really well with some groups, is uh, the users uh, can buy pixels and then they can use them to tip the host uh, for creating the group and running the group. And some of our top hosts have made you know, thousands of dollars uh, through tipping. Um, that's one model. Another model that we're introducing uh, later this year, early next year, is integration with sports betting. Um, and so we will integrate odds from our sports betting partner. Uh, Users then can create a bet, go and bet with the partner, um, and then uh, and then try and sort of track their bets. And that and we basically revenue share uh, with uh, with that partner, um, and that generates another revenue stream.
0: So you'll have a preferred partner with whoever that may. Be. William Hill, MGM, Caesars, yeah, whoever so it may be. We,
1: we've, actually, we've already done that partnership, so that's MGM in the U.S. and then another, I see the same company, it's called GVC in the U.K. and Europe.
0: And so you're looking at this partially as, and I think this is kind of the growing part of sports gambling, is the in-game betting, correct? That like, you've got this community, they're that's together, correct. they're yeah. all engaged, and the lines are changing very quickly, and there's all these moments, and you've got mm-hmm. an easy click through.
1: That's right, and it's it's a really interesting one because we actually think, you know, similarly, we think there's a gap for it's social for in game for just sports fans or not better. It also is like a gap for betters, which is betting really is a social activity. If you for most people, right, like if you if you don't have the social aspect, it's not nearly as much fun. Like sitting betting in your own is sort of a sad experience, and we sort of feel that betting online doesn't really capture that yet because, you know, I can go to the sportsbook, I play at the bat, and then, you know, I kind of watch the event. But I, I don't. it's not easy for me to share it with a group of people who um, are watching the same game. And so that's something that we're developing within these groups is that a really easy way for people to see who you're betting on, what your position is. Um, and when you win, then you can share it with a group. We we actually think that makes betting a much more fun experience.
0: Yeah, so you're bringing the sports book to the virtual world, which has been essentially. I, right. I, I mean, and that's what fantasy did on some level. I mean, it really, it really kind of did pre all the legalization yeah, yeah. of gambling.
1: Yeah, that's that's right. And you know, I, I always make the joke. is that like, imagine going to Vegas um, and and you know having a, a weekend gambling. But now I imagine it that, that you're going by yourself, and not allowed to talk to anyone. Else. It's like it's kind of fun, but it's not nearly as much fun as it is in a social setting. And so that's you know the the, the second scenario where you're you're doing this betting and it's just by yourself. That's that's online sports betting today, uh, where it's like yeah, you had the bet. You know maybe you can tell a few friends, but it's just it, they don't they don't make it easier. We we want to make it really easy for you to be able to see, share and, and chat to other people about your bet.
0: Yeah. Um, you know, I want to go back um, for a moment cause, because here we are today talking about this very new version of social interaction and online betting and how it's all integrating. And obviously that had a lot to do with legalities, at least in this country, as things kind of change. When you were creating FanDuel, did you foresee this coming or, or how far down the line did you foresee that this is kind of the area we would end up in?
1: We always sort of saw that the US was an anomaly uh, in that every sort of other Western market um, uh, opened up to sports betting. Um, and, and we saw across Europe, uh, like UK was very ahead of the game. Uh, we've had legal horse racing since the 60s. Uh, we had um, sports betting from the sort of late 90s. We had online sports betting from around 2000. and. So they were very early, but then there was other markets like France, uh, Spain, Italy, that you know took another five to five to seven years to open up. Um, and so when we looked at the US. We said this is really not. Uh, There's a real weird anomaly in that people are passionate about sports. There's this enormous black market in, in betting. It's not that people weren't betting; they were, uh, but they were having a bet with you know a friend or you know some offshore book. And so we definitely felt that the US was going to liberalize in some way. We just couldn't really say. We couldn't see in what way it was going to happen. But we felt that we felt it was very likely, and we felt that um, Fanduel was building in a in a, in a market that you know, fantasy sports is a great market to be in. But we felt as the market opened up. Um, we would, you know, it would get better and better at, at first on Joe. And, and that's, that's really what, what it proves to be the kids.
0: And then, and how do you look at it now as w- obviously we're still kind of in this nebulous space where some jurisdictions have legalized mm-hmm. it. Others have not. Uh, we're waiting I, in my mm-hmm. home state of Maryland. It's on the ballot, which likely means it'll be legalized yes. here. Um, how do you see that and navigate that as you try to build this business that incorporates sports betting when it's only legalized?
1: yeah that's a really good point. I think as as you look at the business, you know there's things that you you can have confidence in and then there's things you don't know. So the thing you can have confidence in is uh, there's going to be continuous uh, liberalisation of sports betting and and uh, you know each year we're going to see you know at least four and maybe up to eight new states open up and so we we should see that over the next five years. and we just see huge momentum across these states. The unfortunate thing is we just don't know which states. Um, uh, sports betting legislation is like any other legislation, and that it has lots of there's lots of different moving parts in each state, and in some states, it doesn't go through the, you know for reasons completely unrelated to the sort of the merits of it and, and so you know we've seen this and um, you know we've seen that in like in different states and so you know, it could be this, like New York, where I'm sitting. We don't have online sports betting. I think it's pretty likely that we get it next year, but it could be two years. Um, and so it's kind of, you know, and so when I went to bet, <laughs> I have to drive to New Jersey. Right. Um, about an hour for me. Um, and, and so that's, that's kind of something you'd have to accept and say, look, it's, it's opening up, you know, a state like New York is almost, is, is certainly going to get it within two to three years in the best case, one in Maryland. I would be hopeful this year. But if you don't get it this year, yeah, I think there's a good chance you get it next
0: year. I mean, it's so crazy. I, you don't know how many people I know that go through the Lincoln Tunnel or the Holland Tunnel to place a bet and then go back to their apartments. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean it's yeah. it's it's crazy.
1: Yeah, I think there's some people hanging out of their windows on the you know, on the <laughs> west side of the uh, hoping to pick up that New Jersey signal. Yeah. Um, and so they can do the bet.
0: Um, all right, uh, I'll get back to Flick in a moment. But just, just curious w- with all the changes here. And last thing on mm-hmm. fantasy: what is the future for the fantasy platforms? How do you, how do you see that incorporating and and uh, and working with the legalized sports gambling?
1: Yeah, so fantasy is a great game, and, and it's continued to grow and will continue to grow, um, even though sports betting is available. And we we knew that. Um, uh, Back when we were building FanDuel, and people said, "Well, what happens with sports betting? Surely everyone's going to move over." And we would always say, "No," because people are already sports betting. It's not just because it's not legal; doesn't mean it's not happening. Um, and that's that's and, and that's what we've seen in the market. We've seen uh, we've seen some really interesting innovation. So, a product like Underdog, which is a new fantasy sports product, come out is doing really well. It was a baseball product. Um, I, I think fantasy is going to continue to grow fantasy innately is a much more sort of social game. Um, it also is for a lot of players, a lot more sort of statistics driven, um, and that they really kind of you know, want to anal- analyze down at a player level. Um, so I, I think it'll it continue to grow and evolve, uh, I, 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 you know, alongside sports betting.
0: Um, all right, let's, uh, I'll leave you with, um, with Flick. And um, do you envision this something that works directly with teams, brands, leagues, or do you see this as kind of fan driven? How, how does it work in your mind?
1: Yeah. So we, we personally, we've always been very focused on it being fan driven. I will say that we have uh, really only in the last few weeks, have started to get a lot more teams reach out to us. And what they're seeing is, you know, they're looking at it, and I'm going to give the example of the NBA. I think the NBA sort of hoped that they would have at least part of the season with fans in the stadium. I think now they're realizing that it's not happening, um, uh, that they're going to have to look at the 2021 season and fans will not be in the stadium. And they're worried about a number of things. They're worried about losing revenue from those tickets, but they're also losing connection with those fans. Um, and so they're coming to Flick and say, look, we would love to do <laughs> something with our fans that allow them to have some of the sort of social experience of being in the stadium, even though they can't be. And a lot, a number of them have done stuff through mm-hmm. like sort of zoom and the teams the sort of for like video. And we've said, like, that's great. But video scales to about tens of people, <laughs> you know, like you can have a video wall with like 20, 30, 40 people uh, with flick chat. We can have tens of thousands of people. Um, and so you know we're we're channelling a number of teams that are doing that for this coming season, that they can create an official group, and then they can connect with their fans during games.
0: Nigel Eccles is the co-founder of FanDuel and now his latest venture, Flick. Thank you so much for joining us, Nigel.
1: Never. Mind. Thanks for having me.
0: On the next Future Sport podcast, Baron Davis has gone from hoop star to tech star.
1: Being an investor, being an influencer. You know what that what that looked like in real time you know with a real company um and so you know i think that kind of really propelled me to say hey you know if i can find more deals like this then you know i can do a lot better than my agent
0: the former nba star's latest venture is unest a financial service app aimed to help people save for their futures that will do it for this episode as always the future is now this is the future sport podcast i'm bram weinstein the future sport podcast is brought to you by three advanced developers of sports tech apps that are ai powered and ux focused